Let's go ahead and open to Luke chapter 4. Okay. So like I said, I was really burdened by this idea of us looking at who the person of Jesus was. Um, Because I really think so much of Christianity that's been taught to us, whether it's in youth group, whether it's been in Sunday school, um, it's been a lot of go do this for God. Um, But we haven't necessarily fueled our affection for God. Um, And the reason we can't fuel our affection for God is because we just get said, hey, go love God. Like it's just something I'm supposed to produce. But when you actually spend time with God, it naturally produces love and affection for someone. Think about your closest friend. If I like just didn't ever tell you, um, if all you did was just, I'm supposed to love them. I don't actually spend any time with them, but I'm just supposed to love them. It's hard. But if you spend time with them and you're hanging out at Cane's and at Club Lib, it's easier, right? So that's what we're going to try to do. So Luke 4, I want to get you up to speed real quick. Um, basically, Luke 4 comes after the birth of Jesus. So the first two or three chapters is all about the birth of Jesus. And we can spend an entire um, semester almost, entire month, on what God does in the lineage of King David, what God does in the lineage of Abraham, what God does in his covenants. Um, but essentially, Jesus is born from the family that he was supposed to be born. And he's born this savior that is one that's talked about, that's prophesied about. We guys, all of us know this idea. He's born and we're actually able to see that him, he has this friend named John the Baptist. You guys are going to be able to read about this some. Uh, but John the Baptist comes in and he says, hey, everybody, prepare the way for the kingdom of the Lord is near. John the Baptist says this. He says, the kingdom of God is coming up soon. That's what he says. And he eats grasshoppers and wears cool clothes. And everyone thinks he's weird, but people like flock to him, right? Anybody want to go on that diet? All right, no. So he, he does this and he says, the kingdom of God's near. And actually, Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is now. And so he, he kind of flips it. And so when everyone heard kingdom of God, they thought mighty ruler. They thought this incredible king is coming and with power to reign and to rule. So what you, we need to know about the Israelites is that they're currently under siege. Um, they are currently under captivity by the Roman Empire. You guys know like history, Rome, big deal. All right. So they're under captivity by the Roman Empire. But what Rome does is that Rome lets its captives essentially keep their main culture as long as they submit um, to Caesar. As long as they follow the rules, the major rules that Rome wants them to follow, they can pretty much do whatever they like. And so it's like this weird mini uh, Israelite culture within Roman society. And so when, when Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, people immediately think, we're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to lead a military revolution, and now Israelite will be this formidable nation that it used to be, and you read about in the Old Testament. Are we tracking? Are we tracking? And so when he says the kingdom of God's at hand, we read that and think totally different, right? We think salvation, Jesus, yay. They thought, let's go kill some Romans. Like, they were ready to take back the city. And so when John the Baptist says, the kingdom of God is near, 
But then Jesus shows up and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. People's expectations need to be understood. Right after this, Jesus is actually led by the Spirit of God into the desert where Satan tempts him. You guys ever heard this story? Temptation of Jesus by Satan? It's in Luke 4, Luke 3. You'll get a chance to read about it this week. And here's what the devil essentially says. He says, you can have everything this world can offer. You can have all the power in the, in the world. Uh, you can overthrow Rome and be this great conquering warrior. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. And, and Jesus obviously says no. And um, he says, but I, I will live by the power of the spirit, not by the power of my desires for greatness. And he comes out, and this is where I want to pick up. This is where the story picks up. He just finished the temptation with Jesus. Um, I actually want to start in verse 14. The slides don't start till verse 16, but y'all look in your scripture. Luke 4, look at verse 14. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. It says that after his temptation, um, that after the devil tempted, he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hold on to that thought. We're going to get back to that in a second. So let's read our scripture for today. Luke 4, I want to read 16. Uh, through 19 right now. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what's happening here? Jesus went back to his hometown, right? Y'all understand this concept very well. Y'all just came back from hometown, right? So let's, let's just imagine that he's from uh, Houston, right? Jesus from Houston, yeah? Anyone? All right, no. So Jesus is from Houston, and he goes back to Houston's first synagogue of Houston. I don't know. And... And they hand him the scroll, and they're like, hey, Jesus, it's your turn to read the scripture and say something smart. Okay, all right. And so Jesus grabs the scroll, and he's like, I'm going to read Isaiah. And he looks through. They didn't have chapters back then, by the way. It was just like writing. And he says, okay, this is what I'm going to read. And so he stands up, and he says, the year of the Lord is upon me. The favor of the Lord is upon me. You know, because he's anointed me. God has proclaimed good news to the poor. And he he reads this whole thing. And then he sits down, and then... our story, here's, let's pick back up in verse 20. It says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. So this is the part where he's supposed to preach, right? He read the, he read the text, and now he preaches. Everyone's looking at it. And he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. That's very interesting. He doesn't say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to live better. He says, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, if you go back, so he is quoting actually out of Isaiah 61, all right? If you go back to Isaiah 61, what he read is verse 1 and the first part of verse 2. Verse 2 actually has more to say. If you guys want to flip there, here, flip there real quick. I didn't get a chance to put this one on the screen. But flip to Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, you'll notice that Jesus actually doesn't complete the entire thought. He stops in the middle of a thought. 
to make a point. Isaiah 61. Some of this sounds familiar at all. Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. Here's what he says. I'll give you guys a second to get there. A Bible drill for y'all. All right, good job. In Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does all that sound familiar so far? Well, look what he says. He says, Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. You see how Jesus stops there? He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The verse kept going and says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Let me show you what he's saying here. You guys can flip back to Luke. What Jesus is saying is he's saying that prophecy actually has two parts. There is a coming of the Lord that is for the year of the Lord's favor. There is a coming of the Lord for salvation. There's also a coming of the Lord for judgment. Now, judgment gets a really bad rap in our society. I get that. Here's what he's saying. There is reality that when Jesus came the first time, he came to save the world. Jesus does come again (coughs) in the book of Revelation, and that is to judge the world. Now, the beautiful part about that is that God offers salvation from judgment, right? So we we can all smile. This is a beautiful thing. Um, But that is two parts. If he, the reason that he couldn't keep reading the scripture because he didn't come to fulfill the day of vengeance that day. He came to fulfill, this is the year of the Lord's favor. What does he say? It says the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, salvation is ready and available today. So has Jesus returned yet in vengeance? No. So what that means is that today is still currently the day of the Lord's favor. Are we tracking here? That That prophecy is still being fulfilled. All of us are actually beneficiaries of that because God, um, when Jesus comes and he offers salvation, and and vengeance has not occurred yet, we are still, we are able to have a relationship with God because it's still the Lord's favor. The Lord still looks upon us with favor. All right, Luke 4, Luke 4. But Jesus says all of this, and they marveled at him. And then they responded poorly. I want to get back to their response later on in the lesson. But why does Jesus say that this scripture was fulfilled today? Look back on what he says. I want to read that again. I want to start in verse 18. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to blind, set at liberty those who oppress, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he says, this has been fulfilled. I want y'all to think about this section of scripture as essentially Jesus' proclamation of his mission on earth. You ever thought about that? Why did Jesus come to earth? Obviously, we would say, well, he came to, to die and to save us from our sins. That is true. But Jesus actually takes a moment at the beginning of his ministry. The disciples aren't even called yet. He doesn't have disciples yet. This is the beginning of his ministry. He's around his hometown people. And... He's saying, this is why I'm here. This is his mission statement. So let's break this down a little bit. It says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is a very um, reoccurring theme in the beginning life of Jesus, that the spirit of the Lord is with him. If you look at the beginning of how Mary um, was originally conceived, it was the spirit was, was the one, like Luke chapter 1 tells us that the Spirit is the one that allowed her to conceive, to have Jesus. If you look more, you see um, 
that when John was baptizing everyone, Jesus actually shows up to the baptism party. I think we need to have more of those baptizing parties. That'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it'd be Oprah. You're getting baptized. You're getting baptized. All right. And so he shows up to the baptizing party and John actually baptizes Jesus. And it says that the spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And this is his grand anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a huge role in the life of Jesus. It plays. You can see literally like five other instances before this chapter. When he went into the, to be tempted by Satan, it says that, and Jesus, being full of the Holy Spirit, went in there. When he leaves the temptation of Satan, we read it a second ago, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit. A crucial part that the ministry that Jesus was going to do was that he was going to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do y'all see that? It wasn't just Jesus and he was like, I'm God, I can do whatever I want. It was Jesus being fueled and filled by the Holy Spirit. It's crucial because we're going to come back and look at the role of the church in a second. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. There's a huge element there. I wonder if you caught it. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. Right here we see very simply that the spirit of God is not an it and it's not a mystical being, but it is a person and it is a he. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me um, because he has anointed me. The Spirit of God is a, is a human, uh, and it, is, it was anointed God. The work that Jesus was going to be done was going to be fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to see that. Let's keep going. Finally, it says, here's the work that we're going to do. Proclaim good news to the poor. Now, when we immediately read that, we think, for the poor people, he's going to say, money's coming, <laughs> Right? Clothes are coming. There's food coming. But we need to think holistically. So Jesus was not thinking just financially. He wasn't thinking just socially. He wasn't thinking just emotionally. He was thinking holistically. And so can someone be poor in spirit but still be rich? Yes. Can someone be poor in health um, but have all those other things, have friends, have all those kind of things? Yes, you can be poor in something and rich in other things. So when he says, I come for the person who's poor, what he's saying is, he says, I'm coming for the person who's an outsider. I'm coming for the person that socially isn't among uh, the elite, that socially isn't in the group, and doesn't fit in, is kind of like the weirdo. That's pretty cool, because I think I'm a little bit of a weirdo. And so when Jesus says, I've come to proclaim good news to the weirdos, right? Oh, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, I, like, I'm, I want to hear what he has to say. He says, I want to proclaim good news to the poor. Let's keep going. He says that he was, he says he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who's the he? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit sent Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, in that time, how would they have read captive? Think, remember, remember Rome? They would have thought, that's all of us. And now he's thinking holistically, though. They're thinking just government reign. He's thinking, I'm going to free people from the bondage of sin. I'm going to free people from the bondage of their addictions. I'm going to free people from the, the captivity of blank, right? This is holistically. He's offering good news. He's offering hope. And then he says, 
and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. It's the same idea. For those who, are un, who cannot see the movement of God, he wants to proclaim sight to them. To those who are, are blind by their captivity, he wants to give sight. You guys can kind of already see where this is going. And then he says something pretty cool, and we get to look at a little bit of Israel culture here. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. We just entered into a new year. What if I would have like posted on Instagram, like 2020, year of the Lord's favor. Y'all would have been like, that's kind of weird, John. You shouldn't have done that. But he says, I want to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So there's this cool concept that Israelites use, and it's called the, the year of Jubilee. Jubilee, all right? And what the year of Jubilee is, it happens every seven years or every 50th year. Don't do math. It's just that's how it happens. And so if you were working for someone, and let's say you were working for them in order to pay off a debt, at the year seven mark, your debt would be paid and you'd be released. Okay? It's like student loans. Imagine if in seven years you didn't have to pay it. Okay? So the year of Jubilee, like we can all get around this idea. Uh, And then it also was this idea of the crops being renewed. You would actually set a sort a year where you didn't work because you wanted to allow the earth to replenish itself naturally and you wanted to rely on what you've already done. So the year of Jubilee is one, it's a year of freedom, but it's a year of, of trusting in God's favor. It's a year of trusting in God's provision for something. And so it's removing yourself from the equation and saying, okay, I haven't earned this freedom, yet it's been, it's been gifted to me by God. And also, I'm going to now trust that God will take care of me. Does that make sense? So when he says the year of the Lord favor, they immediately would understand the concept of the year of Jubilee, where they visually got to see God's forgiveness of things on display. Because socially, people who had debts no longer had debts. You see um, farms get rebirthed with life as a result of taking that year off. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's this concept of the year of Jubilee. So when he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's talking about freedom. He's talking about provision, and he's talking about favor. So if we were to sum all of this up, what, it was, what was Jesus' mission on earth? Let's just sum it up. What was Jesus' mission on earth? I think it comes down to a couple things. One, I think he just, he's proclaiming hope. Did y'all, did y'all see that in there? He's proclaiming like it's, there's hope. It says, it says liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, good news to the poor. There's hope. Jesus comes in a time of oppression, and he says there's hope. Let's get back to that. What was also Jesus' mission? He was to do the work of the Holy Spirit. Did you see how it says that, and that the Holy Spirit sent him to do this? And the Holy Spirit told him to proclaim these things. The Holy Spirit anointed him. His job was to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, I think he makes a really big case that he wants to offer salvation to the unworthy. Salvation to the unworthy. So he proclaims hope. He says, I'm going to do the work of the Holy Spirit. And he proclaims salvation to the unworthy. We talked about the Holy Spirit a fair amount. If you're around Fredonia Hill, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit a lot because we think it's crucial to the life of the believer. Um, Holy Spirit kind of gets a, a bad rap in some circles, but essentially we believe that it's the indwelling, empowering Spirit of God that lives within you, and that is what allows you to abide with Christ. That is the, the Spirit that allows you to obey the Lord. That's the, 
the power to do the things you don't want to do. It's the power that sanctifies us. It's God's presence that lives within us. Uh, we think that psalmists would say, in Christ in me, the great mystery. It's the, it's the spirit of God that indwells within us. So, Jesus has the spirit of God. Yes? Yes? We're here? Okay. Do you have the spirit of God? If you believe in Jesus for salvation, the answer is yes. Is the same spirit that was in Jesus within you? The answer is yes. Now, if that's a new concept for you, I'm going to give you a second to have your mind blown. The spirit of Jesus resides within you. Okay? So the same spirit that was anointing Jesus, that was empowering him, and that was giving him tasks, lives within you. That's crucial. That's crucial. Hop on over to John chapter 14 real quick. Actually, I'm just going to read them off the screen if you don't mind, Nia. So in in, uh, John 14, here's what he says. He says, and Jesus is talking, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Did you catch that? It says that the Holy Spirit comes in the name of the Lord. I want, I want to show you evidence of why I believe that Jesus' spirit is the same thing as our spirit. Go ahead and show Ezekiel. So in the, in the book of Ezekiel, there's this beautiful prophecy that occurs in chapter 36 and 37. If you ever want to know what to read and you already did your text reading for the day, Ezekiel 36, 37. And he says, and I'll give you a new heart and I'll give you a new spirit and I will put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in statutes. Be careful to obey my rules. What do you see? There's a lot there. I don't want to go in there too much. But he says, I'm going to put my spirit within you. And it's that spirit that produces obedience in your life. Here's, a, here's our disconnect, guys. We think that obedience is the end goal. And so all we do is just try to obey. But we've missed the fact that it's the spirit of God that produces obedience in our life. And outside of the spirit of God, we cannot produce obedience to God. And then finally, I want to show you Ephesians chapter 3, in verses 14 through 17. And he says this. Paul's talking, and he's uh, elaborating to the church. And he says, For the reason I bow my knees for the Father, from every family in heaven on earth is named, according to the riches of glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. Do you see his? That means it's the Father's spirit, and it's also Jesus' spirit, and it's in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The spirit of Jesus resides within us. And there's more scripture I can show you. But the spirit of Jesus resides within us. And so when Jesus' mission is to be empowered by the spirit, and, and then he says at the same time that we have the spirit of Jesus, I want you to think about this. If... Just as your body, your physical body, is a reflection of who you are, it's, your actions are a reflection of who you are inside. Like the outward expression of your body is, is, a, is a reflection of who you are. Does that make sense? Just as that is true, I believe that the, the church is an outward expression of who Jesus is. Okay? So the church is meant to have the same mission as Jesus has. So if the church has the mission of Jesus and the church is the outward reflection of Jesus, and that means that if 
the lost world wants to know who Jesus is, they should see a representation of that in the church. So Jesus' mission on earth is meant to be the mission of the church. Are we connecting those dots? Okay. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul says this. He says, and he, he's talking about Jesus, and Jesus put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, did you catch that? It says that Jesus becomes the head of the church and the fullness of him dwells within the church. Did y'all catch that? The fullness of Jesus lives within the church. And so the mission that Jesus started in Luke 4 in Nazareth is the mission that the church gets to live out. So what does he say? He says this. He says, uh, he says the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay, that's true in us. We just did this. He says he's an anointing me to proclaim good news to the poor. What did we say that? He said proclaim hope to the weirdo, right? Proclaim salvation to the unworthy. So the task that God's given us is that we get to proclaim good news. We get to proclaim uh, gospel, which is just the saving life of Christ to the person who's socially outcasted. We get the opportunity to be a part of that. We get the opportunity to, to proclaim liberty to the captive. Now, we got to think holistically. I don't just want to say spiritually, right? Yes, we should proclaim liberty to the person who's still in bondage to their sin. But at the same time, God is not meant for us to turn our eye to physical captivity, right? I don't need to go into a rant of how there's still slavery in in America, how there's still slavery throughout the world. I don't need to go into that. But what I can say is that God has meant us to proclaim liberty to those people, to work toward freeing them, to work toward that. So there's social injustice involved here, but there's also spiritual injustice as well. It says to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Guys, there are students all over your campus who are blind to the fact that God's working in their life. They're blind to the fact that Jesus is moving in their, in their heart. God's working around them. And what we get to do is we get to help them see the work of God. And that's what God's asked us to do. And he, and he says, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Like, hey, look, vengeance has not come. God is looking to save you. I heard someone say that everything that Jesus does, we boil down to two things, and I thought this was interesting. Everything that Jesus did, was, Jesus did was either for our salvation or it was an illustration on how we can live. Now, that sounds really preachery, right? Like, tweet it. But he either didn't act in order to save us or he doesn't act in order to show us how to live. Because remember, the same spirit that dwells within Jesus lives within us. So if the church is to take on God's mission, I think we need to look um, at where God's placed us and ask the question, man, am I joining in and proclaiming good news to the poor? Another way of understanding the poor is to say the marginalized, the ones that are forgotten about. Am I proclaiming good news to those? You know, am I, am I helping those who are oppressed see the life that Jesus has. So when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, that means it's still at hand. And so we get to help people see the kingdom of God 
by helping them with their with their um, their blindness, helping them come out of their captivity, offering them a lifeline, essentially. But I want to show you something. Can we finish the rest of the story? And in, in verse twenty-two, now remember he's at Nazareth. This is where he grew up, right? I'm sorry, uh, first synagogue of Houston. He's in, and this is where he grew up. We'll start in verse 22. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? Now hold up. Joseph was his daddy. Or we all know that, right? Joseph was his daddy. So they knew who Joseph was. And they're like, oh, that's Joseph's boy. And, um, and they kind of, some people might read this text and this is going to take a south turn. And they might say that pe- that. People got upset with Jesus because he said, today this scripture is fulfilled. I want to offer a possible different understanding of this text today. Perhaps when they said, it says that they marveled at him. Do you catch that? It says, uh, all spoke well of him and marveled at him. And they said, isn't that this Joseph boy? In other words, they're like, look at this guy. He, you know, he went off and he comes back and he's a, he's a really big deal now. Uh, it's like, you guys know who Clinton Dipsy is at all? Clint Dempsey is, was on the U.S. national soccer team. Well, he's from Nacogdoches. If you guys ever go to the soccer part here, it's called Dempsey Fields. It's named after Clint Dempsey. Okay, big deal. We're going to just pretend that you guys know who this is. Well, as if he came back to Town Hall in Nac, and it was like, Clint Dempsey's back. That boy made a name for himself. He's doing good. That's, uh, that's Paul's boy. I don't know who Paul is, but, like, <laughs> that's Paul's boy. All of a sudden, you're like, yeah. And they're like, Nacogdoches. And they were like, Nazareth. And and they're there. And it says they're marveled at his gracious words. Verse 23. And Jesus said to them, You know, doubtless you will quote me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, it didn't rain. And a great famine came over over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the, the brow of the hill on which their town was built so, could, so they could throw him off the cliff. They went from, that's our boy, to throw him overboard. Why? Because, what are the two things he said? He look, he says, it wasn't an Israelite that Elijah had cared for. And it wasn't an Israelite that Elisha cared for. He said, but rather it was the outsider. Look back on that verse. He says, he's, he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the socially outside. To those who are marginalized by society. You see, the Israelites, Nazareths, the Nazarites, I don't know what to call them. They were cool with their guy proclaiming. Bringing the kingdom of God to Nazareth. 
But all of a sudden, you want to bring in someone who doesn't belong here. I'm not interested in that. You've gone too far, Jesus. And they're so far that they had no faith that they literally were going to kill him. I love the... I love how it finishes in verse 30. He says, but passing through their midst, he went away. I don't really know what that looked like. Like this angry mob was coming for him, like pitchforks going to knock him out and just like pass through the midst and no longer Jesus was there. I have no idea what that looks like. Um, but Jesus is like, whoops, not going to die. And, but the reality is they went from hometown hero to how dare you say that? Here's the challenge. The mission of Jesus is for the mission of the church, right? I believe that to be true. The mission of Jesus is for the mission of the church. Where Nazareth went completely off the wall is that they misunderstood that the mission of Jesus actually wasn't just for the people in this room. The mission of Jesus was for the people who were everywhere and the ones who were outside and kicked out and the ones that you didn't like and the ones that talk too much, and the ones that are socially awkward, and the ones that are just, you would never hang out with them. Oh my gosh. It's for them. And so to proclaim liberty to the captive is for them. To proclaim hope, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it's for the person that you're not really a fan of. We see this again in the story of Jonah. When Jonah didn't want to go to the Ninevites because he didn't believe they were worthy of God's salvation. It's the same story, different tune, with the Nazarenthians. I don't know how to say that. It's the same principle. And I think that principle comes to us today, knocks on the door of our heart and says, hey, are you going to share the gospel just with your friend who looks like you and kind of fits in with Christian culture? Are you going to tell your friend um, that's already a believer that it's a year of the Lord's favor? Because they're one of us. Should you do that? Yes. This is, this is a good thing. But should you also go to the oppressed and the weirdo and the one who's not by church culture looked at as someone who's cool? Should we go to the person who is in our class that everyone hates, everyone just kind of like, quit talking? Like, should we go to that person and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus and proclaim that it's the year of the Lord's favor? Yes. Should we relationally care about them? Should we bring them into the fold of the family of God? Yes. In the book of Acts, I think it's Acts 11, the Holy Spirit is actually given to Gentiles. So now there's Jews, that's Israelites, and there's Gentiles, and that's like not Israelites, okay? And the Holy Spirit's given to the Israelites, and they have this big council. Church people always freak out. They got to have these big councils. And so they have this council in Jerusalem, and they're like, okay, so is this real? Do people who aren't Jews actually receive the Spirit of God? And they were they came to the conclusion, surely God has done a work among us, and salvation is for all people, not for the Jews. And that's what I love. Salvation for all people. So I want you to think, and I'm gonna wrap us up real quick, but think about God's mission, proclaiming good news to the poor. Proclaiming liberty to captives, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed. And if we, the church, who have the same spirit as Jesus, and if we, the church, which earlier it says that the fullness of Christ dwells within the church, then how are we living out his mission? 
And we cannot do it absent the Spirit of God, okay? You, we, we cannot do anything absent the Spirit of God. We, you cannot love your neighbor absent the Spirit of God. You are at, utterly dependent upon the Spirit of God. So ask the Spirit, how can I be a part of the mission that you've started with Jesus? The next couple of weeks, we're going to look more at who Jesus was. We're actually going to look at a town that had faith, unlike Nazareth. And as a result, God was able to do miracles in there. So we get to kind of compare the two cities. Let's pray. God, may we still be about your mission. And this sounds really cool to say, you know, freedom to the captives. Good news for those who are oppressed. We want to, but Holy Spirit, we ask very simply that you show us very simply how to live. That we are not wasting our time trying to fulfill our own desires and wants, but we are giving ourselves to you, saying, yes, Lord. And that we are about proclaiming favor to the outcasts. God, in my heart, will you show me how, what my role is in this? In the hearts of the, of the students in here, will you show them their role? We give them incredible boldness. But Holy Spirit, may they not try to do this absent your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen.